Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Tim Kay here, host of the Veterans Project podcast, founder of the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project as well, which shares the legacies of our Gold Star, Silver Star, White Star, Blue Star families. Uh, Their legacies are important too. So that's why I started the Caregiver Project. We just nominated a new president, uh, Sherry Deathridge, who lost her husband, Jose, in Mosul in 2008. Uh, tragically lost him to an insider attack. Uh, This project is very important to me, just as important to me um, on the caregiver side. We need to tell these stories of the families who've experienced this loss, the sacrifices made um, overseas. These families at home have fought a war, um, have battled at home, so it's important to tell these stories as well. Share these legacies. We're very passionate about that. That being said, just going nonprofit, um, we have an announcement. Our friends over at AZ Guns are raffling off a Ruger Precision Rifle in 6.5 in support of the Caregiver Project and the Veterans Project. Simply head over to AZ Guns Raffle and purchase as many tickets as you want. That's right, as many as you want for $25 each. Now, if you buy four tickets, you get the fifth for free. So it's basically $20 each uh, if you buy four, which you should because it's for a great cost. The raffle begin began on the 31st of January, ends on February 14th, a.k.a. Arizona's birthday. I don't know what else February 14th would be, but Arizona's birthday is it. Winner will be announced on the AZ Guns Instagram Live at 12 p.m. Arizona time. All proceeds benefit the Caregiver Project and the Veterans Project. I want to say a very special thanks to our president, Sherry Deathridge for not only stepping up and becoming the president of the Caregiver Project organization, I admittedly needed help there. And uh, she's not only stepped up, but she has uh, gotten us our first raffle uh, with our friends over at AZ Guns. She has a good relationship uh, with their owner. It is a veteran-owned and operated business. So we feel uh, very privileged to be uh, associated with them, and we're very thankful for them willing to being willing to raffle off such an incredible weapon. So visit thevetsproject.com backslash rifle, and that'll bounce you directly to the link over at the AZ Guns website. Check it out. One of my favorite memories, that cool spring day in Mississippi, sitting in the car, afraid to even emit a remnant of a breath because of the possibility of interrupting a true legend in Mark Gordon Doc Hazard. As he spoke to us about the trials and tribulations of unadulterated combat, the violence of action, the cries of his men begging for their mothers on the Siegfried line, and the German and American medics even helping each other out with their litters because of the level of said violence. My companion, cramped in the back of my hatchback, also hanging on every word in complete and utter silence. Some years have passed, and Doc has since gone on to holier lands, but those memories remain of a time in telling a story with a brother in arms and one of my closest friends listening to the greatest generation sharing subtle wisdom with every waking breath. What a time and a moment we will truly never forget. This next guest is that man. He is very near and dear to my heart as a friend. And when I think about human, I think about the values of God and family. This podcast might seem a tad more conversational 
uh, with my inserted thoughts here and there. But that's a product of us both being artists working in some of the same fields and both of us understanding the struggles of being entrepreneurs. We both had thoughts on some of the matters of capturing stories, social media, and how all that kind of plays into our culture. Jesse Phillips commits himself on a daily basis to his faith in Christ, and he serves his family continuously. And so he's born for the role. I've witnessed the man in his element at home, loving his family to the core with a willingness to do whatever it takes to provide. His work ethic is inspiring, his art is captivating, and he's a Marine. Jesse might not like me for this, but when I think of him, I, I don't think of the Marine. I think of a man who does everything for God and family, and a byproduct of that is his willingness to serve as a patriot. It's strangely reminiscent of our World War II generation, and maybe that makes it a bit ironic that my favorite memory was that spring day in Mississippi with the true legend. I wouldn't need to say a single word to Jesse about that moment ever again, but I guarantee we both recognize it as a defining episode in our art and lives as men. And that's why I respect this man so much. Here he is with an education on faith, family, and the value of duty, Jesse Phillips. The Veterans Project is a comprehensive essay capturing the legacies of our warfighters, caregivers, and civilians who have stepped forward in defense of our patriotic principles in an effort to capture their stories and to never forget the staggering sacrifices of our nation's finest. This is the Veterans Project Podcast, where our legacies are the mission. Here's your host, Tim Kay. Yeah, that's yes. how you know this is going to be a good podcast. Cheers. Cheers. Is you that your phone vibrating? Quick. I'll hey, get it cool. off the table. You know what? I'll get it off the table. Okay. You were just insulting my, where I live and saying I didn't have service, but now the world heard my phone has service. Out. Yes, you do. Well, welcome to the Veterans Project Podcast. I'm sorry. My name is Tim Kay, and I will be your host. So rudely sipping in the background was the magnanimous, always lively, beautiful, gorgeous, marine. I mean, those don't go with marine, but anyway, Jesse Phillips on the podcast. Jesse, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you uh, being here, and uh, I thank you for your friendship. You bet, brother. I'm uh, glad to be here, and I'm try- um, I will try to be nice. <laughs> For those of you listening in at home um, right now, this is live. Um, <laughs> for for those of you listening right now, um, I just, in all seriousness, wanted to say that uh, Jesse and I met. I'm sorry. At, I'm sorry. I'm trying to move this thing. Cause it's... At Sundance Film Festival, and um, back in two, what was it? Three years ago. I can't. Was it sixteen? Two thousand. Yeah, twenty sixteen. We met in 2016, and Jesse uh, and I did not immediately fall in love. We already told this story not kind of on your podcast. We didn't like yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, we were kind of like both jam-packed into this car, and Jesse was not given the VIP treatment. And I showed up, and 
Yeah, I, you tell you kind of tell it. I've never been a VIP person, so I wasn't. I didn't have anything. I wasn't expecting anything. I had just been at Shot Show for four days. But you're going to Sundance Film Festival as a guest of honor, so you kind of yeah. But I don't really care. I was just stuffed in the back seat instead of the front seat, and I'm a gigantic unicorn. You are big. And I had I was folded in half and had two dogs that were like I'm not a I, I don't hate animals. Yeah. But I use them as tools on the farm. Right. Horses it's just different and dogs, but I don't want them licking me and crawling all over me. And I'm also car sick. If if anybody, you know, <laughs> if you've listened, if you know anything about me at all, you know that I have extreme motion sickness. Well, and then you come flopping in the back seat <laughs> trying to cr- cram your scrawny self in there, and then you had your little whole attitude with your nose turned up, and I was like, all right. <laughs> so I just didn't talk to you. I wasn't mad at you. I just didn't talk to it's you. It's very ironic that both of us kind of thought of each other in the same way. I thought and... you were. Uh, pretentious snob i mean i know you're being nice right now but i when i saw you i thought okay this guy's supposed to be from mississippi he's supposed to be down to earth and like humble (laughs) wrong (laughs) and you like totally betrayed every sense i had of that (laughs) i was like this is totally a big letdown well in case you haven't noticed this is going to take a little bit of a different tone uh and, and so far the podcasts have all been conversational this one will be as well the point of this podcast, obviously, being to build a bridge between the civilian and veteran uh, communities, because it is so important that our stories are told in the proper manner, and these legacy pieces are honored in the right way. But Jesse and I have such a good friendship. I mean, the Phillips family is like my family, so and we kind of grew up in the same way. And so I, I really wanted to get to the heart of who you are, because I want people to know from this, you know, and I have a feeling quite a few of my followers have seen you and seen you all over my stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> tragically. Um, all up in your You're stuff. all up in it. Um, uh, but, you know, I really wanted you to kind of go into your background and how you grew up, mm-hmm. uh, because that's very important. Uh, you know, you grew up in Mississippi. That's right. Around yep. Starkville. Yep. And I'd like to hear about your, your background, how, kind of how you were raised, man. That's important. Okay. All right. Well, um, well, uh, I was born at a very young age <laughs> in a house that I built with my own hands. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just kidding. How far back do you want me to go? I just just start with, you know, where, kind of how you grew up and how you were raised and kind of what led your path to the Marine Corps. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I was raised, uh, I was one of 13 children. And uh, my mother and father loved each other very much, apparently. Drop that shock and awe button right there. Yeah. And uh, we didn't have any twins. Uh, We were not Catholic. Those are two of the questions we always get. Or Mormon. Uh, Or Mormon. We were not Mormon. Um, My father was a a football coach. He coached at Mississippi State. Um, And then he got out of that and became uh, a full-time minister. And uh, he, he... all they did was go to go to Mississippi State and teach young college boys that wanted to learn about the Bible um, and Jesus, and he he sat down and would would teach them, and he never charged a dime for anything. I never asked for money. Wow. Um, so it, I, we were raised uh, completely trusting the Lord on our income and where everything we came from, uh, and we always had the best Christmases. Always had the the most delicious foods yeah. every meal. Yeah. We had a lot of kids. There's a lot of a lot of fighting over the over the grub at the table, but there was always enough. Um, 
can imagine. So also on top of that, I'm sorry, I'm, now I'm talking into the microphone better. There you go. That sounds yeah. way better. Uh, I was also homeschooled. Okay, so I'm, I was on t- I was that weird kid. Me and you both, though. You were homeschooled. Yes, the whole way. I forgot about the that. I was homeschooled. Way, so I honestly, you went to college, though, right? Wow, my neighbor needs to slow down. In case y'all didn't know, we are sitting on my front porch. This is the most Mississippi setting ever, though. If y'all can't hear the crickets, there are crickets in the background. I'm sitting on my front porch. It is midnight. Yes. The neighborhood is asleep, live on a dead-end road. Um, I just all got the in. lights on the that you can see. There's about three lights in the distance. Those are all family members' houses. <laughs> yeah, we're this on the compound, Phillips compound. compound. Yep. Uh, but anyways, so so you grew up with a big family. Yep. You grew up with you know faith being a major staple in your yes. life. What led you into the Marine Corps? You know, with that background. Uh, well, the way we were raised, uh, defend the weak. Yeah. Um, stand up for the little guy was always something that our our dad and, and mother uh, ingrained into us. So that was just normal. But um, you know, like most veterans nowadays, and September 11th had a big part of everything. Um, I was 11 when the towers got hit. I remember where I was. I was homeschooled, so I wasn't at school or in history class. I was actually on the way out to go uh, help a neighbor build a build a barn, and uh, saw it on the news on the way out. I was 11. Um, that afternoon, after we kind of figured out what was all going on with the towers and everything, uh, I remember calling my buddy Grant Jeffries, who I don't know if you've met yet or yes, not. Yes, I but, have met him. Um, I called him up, and we decided at 11 years old that we were going to join the Marines and go kill bad guys when we got old enough. Mm. And so that's kind of where the I decided to become a Marine was when I was 11. You know, one thing that I'm always struck by whenever I come out here is just the how much your family um, just bonds and how strong that bond is. Um, does that have an impact in how you lead your Marines? And do, do you feel like that, you know, the way that your parents raised you has really impacted the way that you do things now in the Corps? That's a fantastic question. And... Um... Yes, I think would be the direct answer to that. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I don't want to get too too sad, but, you know, you know, the audience doesn't know, my father passed away in 2013. Right. Uh, we're a very close family. Um, since his passing, a lot of us older ones got to move home, and I've been able to be around. We still have uh, six of the young ones still at the house with mom. Wow. Um, so I've I've had to learn not only in the Marine Corps, to implement what my father taught me, but I've actually implemented how to kind of take care of um, my brothers and sisters in a way that I'm not their father figure at all, but in a way that's more than just a regular sibling would be. Right. If that makes sense. So being good at one, I feel like, makes me better at the other. Yeah, and that that makes sense. Um, you know, the the fraternal bond, obviously, in the Corps, in any infantry unit, really, is so strong. Um, and, and that's something that I really noticed with you was, you know, immediately when we met at Sundance, you know, obviously first impressions aside, uh, <laughs> that only lasted like 30 only, minutes yeah, and it was we were, very short. we were snuggling and having a good time. Yes, we were. Mm-hmm. Got romantic. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, when we were in that setting, just the, the bond that I could see that you came from, from great parents that really cared about you. 
immediately because it reminded me of a lot of the you know families surrounding me growing up even my family you know my parents how they had raised me it reminded me of how i would have been if i hadn't disappointed my mother (laughs) (laughs) and how i had grown up if she i had grown up the way that i needed to um, you know, done the right things and all that, made good choices, we, like they taught me. We, yeah. we all make terrible choices. Yes, my choice is a little worse. Um, but you know, it's like the dynamic of us just hanging out and seeing you as an artist. You know, that's that's something I really want to get into here. I, obviously, you know, we, you and I talked before the show, and we're not going to get too much into the combat uh, because this is based on reintegration and that's Mm -hmm. really what this project is about Mm -hmm. uh and that's really what i want the podcast to be too but for me as an artist when i saw you i just saw this dynamic artist coming from this very different background you know i I came from texas but you know i'm obviously a little bit more that unicorn personality a little a little uh colorful if you will um, and you know, you just hear it in our voices, you know, I'm a little bit more up tempo and like, I'm like that Zed song that comes on the radio and you hear it and it's like, okay, that's a little too loud now. Let's like turn that down like 10 decibels right when Tim, I start talking. Yeah. I don't even know what Zed is. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, how, like house music, like, you know, like heavy dance club music. Yeah. And you, you are were like, yes. And you're like the George Strait song that comes on from 1985 <laughs> when he like started his career. Well, 1979, whenever he started his career. That's you. I know you're trying to jab me, but I take that as That's a That's not even a jab. No, 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 no. Listen, that guy is Mr. Texas. He's the king George. of country. Well, so, am, and he's I in am. San Antonio. So we love him to death. You, you, even me not liking country, you have to, if you said you don't like George in San Antonio, they execute you on the spot. Yeah, so well, good for them. You know, we're both artists with very similar feelings in a lot of ways on a lot of things. Yes. But we obviously do things very differently, Mm -hmm. too. But I think the connecting factor between the two of us is the fact that we have so much respect for our community, Um, especially that that older brotherhood. Can you talk a little bit about that, about where where that art stems from, you know, kind of why you are the way you are? Well... That's a tough question, man. Um, but I, honestly, I mean, when I look back, it has it came from my father, uh, who was uh, you never got to meet him, but he was a type I A, love to, yeah, type A football coach. Um, you know, very straight laced. A lot of people would call him, but also loving and kind. But he he was a. Uh, you look at him, you would think he was a, you know, an athlete, but he was an artist too. He was a writer. He was he he drew things. He was he helped me when I was a kid. I was a problem child, not to get into all that, but I was the kid in the family that was like the project because I was an idiot and a moron. <laughs> but he um, encouraged me at a very young age to pursue photography because we went on a trip back when before digital was a thing, and we all had disposable cameras. And he went and probably spent eighty four dollars to get them all developed and flip through them. And he pulled me aside and was like, "Hey, yours." Your compositions and all these look awesome. Like yours are different, wow. so maybe you ought to you ought to look at doing that some more. You see what he did there, right there though. He immediately like lifted you up, like oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. He was looking for that as a father. He was right. looking for that. Looking back now that I have almost four kids of my own, I I can see what he was doing then. But back then I was like, oh wow, cool. Yeah. So since uh, I was like, tw- it was actually 2012, or I'm sorry, 2012. A decade before that, 2002, I was 12. Right. Um, 
that's when I decided, I was like, oh, cool, maybe I do have something that I can work on. And uh, so that started the artistic side. But with tying that to the older generation was my my father. We It was a rule you never passed um, an older veteran that was wearing a veteran hat without stopping and shaking their hand. Mm. Like everywhere we went, we stop at Captain D's, you go in, there's a guy, you stop, shake their hand. And uh, thank them for their service, welcome them home. So that was what we were used to. My grandfather, both my grandfathers were in the service. Um, we had uncles on both sides that were in World War II and Vietnam. And so we had a lot of family history uh, growing up. And I just remember sitting there asking my grandparents questions and my dad teaching me how to listen yeah. to older generations. And I remember several times talking to Grandpa and and Dad just afterwards being like, hey, when you ask these guys these questions, just ask it and then just be quiet. Mm. He's like, just be quiet and I mean, I, I, it's funny. I wrote a short story the other day, and that was part of the line I put in it was that it was like, the best part of the story always comes after the silence. And I know that you know about that, right? Doing what you do, but especially with we the older. We saw that together, in fact. Yes, we did. That's yeah. what I was kind of getting at. But um, just to learn, you know, a lot of people in my film work, when they look at the interviews I've done, and a lot of them get really emotional, just like a lot of yours do. Um, and they they wonder, oh, how do you do that? You get them drunk. You do this. Whatever, you know what? You know they're trying to be all figure out how to hack it. And <laughs> really, all it boils down to is, do you respect them enough? Do you actually care? Mm. You don't care about trying to look cool Empathy. to get a story to get a lot of views or a lot of hits or whatever. Do you honestly care about this soul that you're talking to? That's the big one. It's really easy to have that, but it's easy to not have it too. Mm. And then the other thing is. Ask a question and shut your darn mouth, man. And don't try to be the hero that's just going to keep pulling the story out. Like most of the time, the story, it doesn't take much to get them talking. Right. But you have to have that, that care. You know, that's really powerful because, you know, one thing I've learned in all of my work in the, the vet, within the Veterans Project and the Caregiver Project is I had to learn to shut up. <laughs> so, yeah, I could see that being your... For me, I'm I'm not a talker normally. Right. You are. So yes. I can see that being tough for you. For me, it was easy. It was like, oh, I don't have to talk that much. I, I would even take it further. Egocentric, um, cocky. Uh, you know, like I said, not really the way I was raised. I was raised by awesome parents who were very godly and God-fearing. My dad being a pastor. Uh, my mom being a homemaker and homeschooled us, she really raised us right. And she came from an old school home too. And old school back then was like, you know, milking the cows before 4 a.m., <laughs> you know, 50 of them. And then lifting bales of hay and tossing them 100 yards down that a football sounds like field. the way I was raised. Right. You know, that's how her parents were. They they grew up in that old school culture. You know, they moved over as, you know, her their parents moved over as Swedish immigrants to Minnesota. And, you know, farming was all they knew. So... You know, while my grandparents were very kind, they had a very hardcore work ethic. Empathy being one of those things that my mom raised me to learn, but I didn't really discover the focus of that until I was about 25 years old, 26 years old, when I started the Veterans Project. It was learning to really just shut up. <laughs> and I keep saying shut up because those of you who know me and know my colorful unicorn, you know, bang drink soul yes um understand that really learning to be quiet in the moment and that's the you know real connection between me and you was like i could see instantly when you asked a question 
at Sundance, you were listening, and all of the other, not to say any names, but all the other loudmouths around us and personalities and talking heads that were around us, and there were a lot of good people there too, but a lot of those that were loudmouths and talking heads, we just looked at each other like, uh, we don't want to be a part of this. Not a, this is not, at not all. This is not art. This is not what it should look like, right? And so for me, like that sense of empathy was evident within you very early on. I could see that right away. So I thought that's our connection, right mm-hmm. there. Is a few years previous when I had started the project, I learned to shut up. <laughs> and then I saw you, you know, in that you were already there, and that was really powerful for me. So. How, you know, in the past three years since we've, you know, have have you learned more? Have you grown as an artist? Do you feel, I mean, I see it in your work, but can you talk a little bit about that and your growth and what do you think, what do you think has changed? For sure, man. Um, I, I, I certainly hope I've grown in the past three years. Uh, I think every year, if you look back at yourself and think, <laughs> I think every time you look back at your work as an artist and as your just as you're who you are as a person, you need to be like, dang, I need to tighten up a little bit. Mm. Cause if you're ever like, yeah, dude, I got it. The Bible says, <laughs> if take heed lest you fall, if you think you stand, mm. you will fall. Yep. So yes, I, uh, hopefully I've grown. And I know you are asked earlier about my, uh, how it helped me lead my Marines. Definitely the past three years, since my father's died, um, my whole leadership style with my family, as my family's grown, I've had to learn how to, and by my family growing, I mean, I have three kids. I got a fourth one on the way who I forgot to tell you about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw it on Instagram, so I'm sorry. Uh, that that is part of the that's part of that's the part of me that wonders if Jesse is really a good human being. Uh, there are moments where I'm like, oh man, he is amazing, and then he won't tell me like he's having a fourth kid, and then I find out when the kid is six years old. It like, was oh. on Instagram, and he's still in the belly. Okay, it yes, was a yes. it was a cute little post. I, I it, it was, but to find out on Instagram, I know, bro, I'm unbelievable. Sorry. Can we get back to what yes, we're yes, about? go back, yes. Um, I don't even remember what we're talking about. We were talking about your advent as an artist. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so as I used to, when you know, when I first got it, became became an NCO, well, even before when I was a junior marine, I was very much a fire plug. I don't know if you could tell, but I was right. I was the guy that would yoke you up and put my hands all over you if you weren't doing the right thing. And I was a giant, so that was easy to do. And and I want to preface what you're saying by just saying that you just got back from Afghanistan in in you, right. your tour of Helmand Province. I don't want to wax over that completely okay. where we don't even mention that. Yeah, either, okay. So. Yeah, so, and, um, yeah, and this time, I, you know, I was a lot older than this time. You know, yeah, I, right. I'm married and have three kids when I go this time, and it's different... Um, it's just different when you're not the kid. Right. You know, and it's, uh, but having my own children, having, uh, losing my father and having to deal with my younger siblings in, in a different kind of almost not, I'm not their father, but in a way that they're really looking to me more than normal. I had to learn how to deal with everybody. I used to think everybody, you treat everybody the same. Right. As a leader. And I'm starting to find out as a leader, you, you don't do that. You have to learn much personalities, like, right? Exactly. Much yeah. like an art, when you're doing an interview with an, with somebody as an artist in photography or film or, or just a, a podcast like this, you can't treat everybody the same. You have to learn how to read people pretty quickly 
and learn what makes somebody tick and what doesn't. And, you know, one guy might, you know, respond really well to busting his balls in front of all his friends and making them look like an idiot. Not many people respond that way well to that. Most people respond well to a little bit of brother, you know, treat you like a little brother, pull you aside and like, hey, man, you messed up here, but you did good here. How about you work on that? Uh, but the next guy might be different. And you just got to have to, you know. So as an artist growing and as a father growing with my kids and as a uh, Marine growing, you know, platoon sergeant, from squad leader, platoon sergeant, it changes things, how you deal with people. And uh, so, yeah, I feel like get try, working on one makes you better at the other two. And, you know, I think that's something that people don't quite understand um, is that every part of your life affects your art. Yes. Dude, I get into some holes, man. I'll be the first to say uh, where I get depressed or I get down. Oh, I know. As Christians, we never get depressed or down. No, that's a myth. Um, just because you accept Christ doesn't mean your life will becomes perfect. Um, but but one thing I've just noticed... Just ask Job. Yes. So then you get into these holes where you get depressed... And, um, you know, I do it a lot within my art where I'll get down in a moment. Um, and I don't know what it is that's particularly affecting me there in that part, but every little thing adds up to the whole and adds up to the whole mm-hmm. of the work. Do, do you feel that within your work? Do you feel like that sense? Like One. everything, you know, your family will affect what you do? 100%, man. I mean, just. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just like, um, I mean, for instance, I told you before we came on air, but a couple of weeks ago, that's one of the reasons why I didn't tell you. So I hope you feel bad about this. Um, we were expecting, we hadn't told anybody yet because it was early on, like 12, 13 weeks. And then we thought we had a miscarriage. And for a week, we thought we'd lost a baby. My wife was sick. Jeez. Really sick. It, it was a, it was an emotional deal. I was trying to figure out, all right, do I tell my kids? Um, it was over a holiday weekend. We, it was just trying to figure out what do we what do we do um then i just remember in that time i sat down and did some writing mm-hmm. and it was just much like hellman did for me and much like um other, losing my dad and building the you know the, the oak box ourselves, and digging a hole ourselves and burying him in the, behind the house that we built yeah and you know, not nailing the lid down because we knew that the Lord's going to call his body up at the last day, that kind of deal. All that together definitely <laughs> works on your art and makes it, and I, I know I hate to say it, but the sadness, all the hard things that happen in your life, um, I feel like make your art way better right? than the, all the happy stuff. Well, I, I think that goes back to what we were talking about with empathy. Yeah. You're not, you know, you're, I, I don't truly believe you can be a great, artist and and you are a great artist i don't truly believe that you can be a great artist without a sense of empathy and all those hard things put you in positions where you had to have empathy yeah i mean losing your father you know in the way that you lost him you know was awful tough hard all those things i mean just tragic in every way 
of course, you know, you having your faith, knowing where he is, is a wonderful thing. But at the same time, it's still painful on this earth. Mm-hmm. And so going through that adds up to all the things where you experience as an artist. And that's one thing, you know, with this project that I really wanted to get to is, you know, we're both artists. And that's something that is a massive similarity between the two of us, despite having slightly different backgrounds, you know, both being raised by great parents, but, you know, having slightly different, you know, being slightly different interactions in the way that we are, those things add up. um, And and that's really where I feel like we get along so well is that sense of empathy and really truly wanting to know the story, right? Right. How do you get to that story? How do you get there? How do you get to the source? I want to know. I'm asking Jesse Phillips right now in this moment. To get to someone else's story? Yes. Well, I mean, I think a lot of that is uh, you just, <laughs> you honestly have to care for people. And and I think it goes back to, I'm a, I believe in Jesus Christ and I believe that he uh, paid for my sins. And it's my job as a believer to reach out and try to, tell lost souls about them. So I honestly have a deep connection with every single living soul that I feel like I need to reach out and I need to care for them because I don't know if they have put their faith in Christ. To be honest, I think that's where the deep passion comes from for each individual person. And, And it's funny because a lot of times I care so much about each individual person in my personal life. I try, some people think I'm a jerk because I, I I don't call them back all the time. I don't text them back all the time. I I have so many people I'm caring about that I have to put up these walls so I can care for my own wife and kids when I need to. Because if somebody else pops in that bubble when I'm trying to take care of my wife and kids because I've been away or whatever it is, I am obligated because I care for them. Right, whoever that person is, and it and ends up, it takes me away from the people that I, I need to be around most. So, all that means I, I kind of got sidetracked, but that's what where I think it comes from is I honestly care about their soul more than anything, more than a story. Right, I care about their soul more than a uh, YouTube uh, YouTube view or Instagram like or right. a tweet. Uh, I don't really care about all that. Um, excuse me, that was my bang coming back up. <laughs> That was gross. And you know, something, Mama, if you listen to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, something else that I wanted to point out is I'm glad you said that about, you know, contacting people because, you know, um, before today, I hadn't heard from you in eight months. Um, so. <laughs> you now are a that, lying fool. <laughs> now, that we're, now that we're here, I just wanted to say, first of all, you, you owe me $650. Um, you uh, destroyed. You came outside and you lit my car on fire last time yeah. I was out here for some reason, and you told me that my photography was like watching, Sub-par? looking at the opposite of Picasso. Ouch! And it reminded you of drawings inside of the porta potties in Iraq, which we all know what those are. Yes. Yes. A lot of Wagners. Yes, a lot of Wagners. <laughs> Um, a lot of ding dongs. <laughs> where, where, 
you totally sidetracked me. Okay, yes, but we were back. We were talking about the art and that the art piece and that where you get that source of. And you were talking about souls. About yeah, them. yeah. So I honestly care about them. Right. And then I got sidetracked and said because I was using that as an example, like random people. At my whole adult life, I've tried to perfect the uh, don't talk to me face when I'm at the gym or going to the airport or trying to grab a double cheeseburger mm-hmm. in line. I just, that's what I've tried to perfect. And for some reason, I used to think it was a curse. And now I'm starting to think maybe I need to quit fighting it. Maybe the Lord's using it for a reason. Yeah. People want to come up and tell me their life story. Random a stranger wow. want to come oh, yeah, up and yeah. tell me their life story and it becomes annoying because I honestly care about them but I honestly don't have all any time right because I have so many people that I'm taking care of so um all that being said I'm trying to use I don't know where I got sidetracked again but that's okay I honestly care about people's souls more than um more than the story yeah so it's easy when I have a story that I'm trying to tell to let that uh simp- that empathy Mm-hmm. be seen by them because I honestly do care about them. So it's not, that's not a hard thing. And then the other thing is just basically keep the conversation going. Mm. Point some, ask some pointed questions. And I learned that from sitting like an, inch, you know, cross-legged cr- crisscross applesauce on the hardwood floor, listening to my granddad talk. And um, all you had to do was ask him a question every five, 10 minutes to keep him rolling. Right. And you would hear the, the most awesome, crazy stories. Um, same kind of deal. Uh, and the other part with talking to the older veterans is it helps. You know, you've seen it, I guarantee it. When you come up, they're kind of sh- a little bit standoffish. Mm-hmm. They don't really want to open up that much. And then they kind of find out, oh, wait a minute, you're a grunt. Uh, you've yeah. been on combat deployment. You've yeah. done this. You've done, oh, and then they start getting this relaxed, like, oh, this is familiar. Like, you're just like the guy that I've in my squad back in the, back in the forties, you know? And then that's where you kind of get that. I don't know. Just be a people person. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I I don't know where that comes from, but it honestly comes down to, I honestly care about their soul more than anything. And then just ask a few pointed questions, get them to feel comfortable with you and then shut your mouth and let them talk. And if they're, if, (laughs) and you know this, I'm saying this for the audience. Oh no, yeah, totally. If a gentleman is, stops talking, in the middle of the story and his lips start to quiver and a tear rolls down his cheek. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't ever, don't ever ruin that pause. Don't ever no. ask. Don't say a word. Don't, don't take a breath and don't ever break eye contact mm-hmm. ever when yeah. you're talking. And I'm not talking about if you're trying to get a story, I'm talking about if you're having a conversation with somebody about something and it doesn't even have to be a veteran. It can be anybody that is struggling with something and they're trying to tell you something don't break eye contact when they're in a, a moment of silence and deep contemplative, should I say what I'm about to say? Yeah. Because so many people ruin that silence with another question. And that person, a lot of times I'm that person <laughs> when I'm yeah. trying to talk, open up to somebody. And I'm about, okay, I think I feel comfortable enough to say what I'm about to say. And then they ask some random off-the-wall question. So anyway, that's back to shut up and keep your mouth shut. You know, it's that passion piece right where people ask that question how do you do that how do you do that it's like okay you shut your mouth and you go do it yes 
and you it, care more about the person that you're talking to than you do about whatever view or yeah. rating you're going to get out of it. It's that foundational building, that foundational block on that building piece, on that concrete that you set out before you put the house down, right? Mm-hmm. You're building, you got to gather all your materials, you got to gather all the supplies, but it's those little pieces of empathy and caring that create the structure for you to have a business around that. It's not, well, like the project for me, never about, you know, this isn't about me, but just us as artists. I never went, gosh, I wonder how this is going to make me money. Yeah. I never. <laughs> that never That's a bad idea, first like, of all. I'm, like, don't do this if you want money. But, yeah. like. This is not Dave Ramsey. No, this is not. Like, I know every time I see a Dave Ramsey speech, I'm like, it's, he's obviously not speaking to me because there's no <laughs> solid income in this. Yeah. And I have no idea when my money's going to be coming in. Yeah. So he's like, just set aside this person under your ring. Just wait until you're married and have uh, four kids and your wife's a stay at home mom. I will never get married. So. <laughs> That adds a little bit more pressure on the arts. Oh, I mean, Starving I've seen it with you. Starving artist takes a whole other different thing. I, 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 listen, I ain't complaining, dude. I ain't complaining. I'm just messing with you. No, like, I see it with you and my marketing director, Blake. I mean, I have seen Who the- Blake is the bomb. Yeah, he's freaking awesome. Dignity. But all those logos you see out there that oh, yeah. people are getting, like, all tattooed my, yeah, onto them and stuff. All my social media, all my everything, all my uh, website- podcast everything goes to that guy he's he, awesome he is great and but i've seen it in both of you guys i feel like he could just be a member of your family like automatically fit in especially with his height he's even taller than i am which yeah. is rare <laughs> like six nine but he's a freak <laughs> i remember your look of disappointment when he walked in the room at sundance you were like what <laughs> i was supposed to be the tallest <laughs> person here. dude you are a monster you were a mongoloid back to what i was saying about those foundational building pieces mm-hmm. you know I feel like so many people get that like turned around. I get asked that question many times. I'm not trying to insult people. For people that listen to the podcast, I'm sure many of them have reached out and asked me that question. Uh, it's not to insult. It's simply to say, get off your butt and get out there and do it. Commit yourself to the art. Commit yourself to your passion. If you really love it, you'd already be out there. Yep. And that's something, you know, I, dude, I have a pillow behind my seat, blanket behind my seat. Never even had thoughts of staying in a hotel. Like, what's a hotel? Like, that's expensive. That's extra money. Like, I never once thought about those things. And part of being, you know, kind of in a grunt unit was that. Like, you know, being able to sleep. sleep anywhere, man. Yeah, sleep anywhere. I could sleep standing up. Like, how many times have we, between you a lot more than me, because you you do it, uh, you know, a lot more. I just just came off of 26 hours and (laughs) two days on the road. But if I had a nickel for every can of uh, tuna fish that I ate in the back of a car sleeping in a Dude, desert yes. not in the marine corps i'm talking about in my civilian tr- yes. shop trying to make art with people <laughs> that i care about um i would have a, i would have like a, a little bit more money than i have now bro like luxury package. tuna fish that my wife sent because we had it in the pantry and i didn't have any money for any food i had a plane ticket that was paid for yeah and like 100 bucks for a rental car <laughs> <laughs> and it's a hatchback and i'm six five and i'm sleeping in in and I don't have enough money to leave the the AC on because I don't have enough gas money. Mm-hmm. That kind of deal. Luxury package is like going to McDonald's and getting oh, a double shoot. cheeseburger. You're yes. like, oh my gosh, what did I do to deserve this? Thank you, Lord. Like for me, and and that's what it's getting to though is the serious part of that is like sleepless nights. 
I, I mean, I can't tell you how many all I've pulled more all nighters since my master's degree than in my master's. Which you need to quit because that's killing you slowly. Yes. I just listened to Joe Rogan about the. I did too. We're right. going to die it's, because of all the nights we both. Actually, we have 18 months left. Exactly. Both of us. Uh, but that it actually has convinced. I need to start working. Oh, I do too. Forcing bro. myself yeah. to sleep. Anyway. I, Sorry. No, no. I, I was just us. no. That's it's all good because this is you. But that's what I was getting to is where I find myself so often saying, like, I wish people would stop asking as many questions and more just like get to it. I know that I searched for that solid mentorship piece when I was yeah. in it, but at the same time, that was really just in photography. It wasn't in the actual work because right. there was no blueprint to work off of the Veterans Project. There was no blueprint for that. It was just like, okay, well, I'm going to go tell some stories and ask veterans questions. When you when you bring up photography, I think that when I, I think it's a perfect example of when people ask us about our art. Right. How many people, and being my photography side, how many people have come to you and be like, hey, what kind of camera do I need to get? And you're like, dude, all right. Do you have a, what's your budget? Oh, $400. Okay. Do you have an iPhone? Oh, yeah. Until you master taking iPhone photos, don't buy a $400 camera. That's a piece of crap. Because if you don't understand composition and a little bit of lighting, then you're not going to amount to anything. Bro, my first But they all class. they want to do is spend money yeah. to get to, and it's the same thing with what we do, especially in the veteran. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to be, they see everybody that's doing well on social media and they think it looks cool and fun. So they decide, how can I shortcut my way there? Mm -hmm. And then they start asking, all, well, how do I do this, this, and this? Maybe if I start whatever. And the heart of their whole, what's behind their whole drive is selfish and it's not about other people. Yeah. So it becomes, it might work for a little bit, but then it, it just becomes cheap and disgusting and gross. Yeah, if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked, like, in the past four years, like, how do you do the Veterans Project? I want to do something similar to that. And I just go... Just go do it. Just go go do it. And At what point do you just say, I didn't ask anybody to do... I don't even know what I do, to be honest. When I started the Veterans Project, there was no, like... Honestly, if I had seen somebody else in this vein who was doing black and white photos like mine or whatever, wouldn't have even I would have never done it. Yeah. Not in a million years. And that's not to say that you can't tell stories another way, but think of an think of an original concept. For me, that's something I try to get all the, across all the time. Is to me, there's nothing new under the sun, as you know, a wise man once put it. But art is original to me. I slightly disagree, but continue. Oh yeah, no. So, I, and and I'm glad that you do because that'll bring a new idea and opinion. But for me, like when I started the Veterans Project, like my whole idea was, okay, if there's anything else out there like it or in that black and white vein, somebody else is doing this kind of thing with Iraq and Afghanistan, I'm not going to do it. So I immediately told my professor at the time, I, nah, I'm not going to do this because there's probably like ten other people doing it. And she's like, I think you'd be surprised. And I start looking around, and it wasn't. So I decided, okay, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. But if there had been something like it, I, I just never want to be viewed as a copycat. Yeah. That scares me. Oh, for really sure. Really badly. <laughs> for sure. So, so do you see what I'm no, saying? I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I just also think that there's... So I don't want to say I disagree. Right. But... You have an addendum to the thought. Yes, that every, there is nothing new. And for me, all of my great ideas are just 35 other people's great ideas that I've taken... 
and meshed into something. Does that make right. sense? Right. Yeah. So it's always it's it's, it's a smorgasbord. Just like we were talking about earlier, like all the experiences that we've been through in our life, especially the hard stuff, comes out and makes our art the way it is. Completely. And I think the same thing happens with technique, with lighting, with composition, with ideas of what you're doing. It's all these. You're, it's like making a delicious soup, and you have to put all the pieces in it, and it's original. Right. Each each one of the ingredients isn't original. Mm. But when you put it all together, you are an original person, right? And and when you when you when you care about making that soup the best soup possible, <laughs> and you don't want to be making it just like somebody else's soup, it shows. You know, you might see. Oh, I could see that maybe he liked uh, what so and so because it has kind of has that flair, right? Whatever. Yeah, you'll pick it out. But you can always tell a copycat when you. I mean, you, I've I've seen so many people doing exactly what you're doing. Yeah, attempt. Let me just say, attempting to do what you're doing. <laughs> um, and the same with me. I've seen people. You, you do something, and then people try to. And to me, it's it's flattering more than anything. It's like yeah, they're trying to be like me, right? Um, but you know, most of them don't have the same drive. And they, yeah. if they're doing it to copy somebody, it's not going to last. Mm, yeah, talk about that the the passion side of that because you know that's that's a word I always use again and again. Starving artist. You've been there. Yes, I am there. You um, <laughs> uh, me. No, the Lord is me good too. to me, and I've never, you know, I've, I was young, and now I'm old, and I have not seen the righteous beg bread. Yeah. So I have never <laughs> needed anything. But, um, repeat that question. No, where does the passion piece in, in, part of it play into that starving? And talk about talk talk about starving. Talk about okay. what that's like. Because I know, I know, you, like you said, you've never been in a place where you've wanted really. But dude, you've had to have been scared. Oh, <laughs> I've been scared. I've so wanted many a lot. I've, my kids have never missed a meal. Is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've wanted a lot of things. That's good. And I've never. I've, I'm not going days. to have to call child protective services. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I am. I live in America, and my kids have never missed a meal. And like, yeah, there's a lot. I've had. I've had a lot of. You know, just, <laughs> just like uh, remember a couple months ago. I had all of my earth, my whole production company uh-huh. robbed stolen. from me. Yeah, yeah, all all my stuff was stolen. Um, lots of money worth of stuff was taken. Where anyway, are my cameras taken? So what I was go- the the passion part, and I'm not trying to knock you, and it's not that I I don't, I just feel like people have used that word passion so much that people don't know what it actually means. Right. And I I like to use just like motivation. You know, motivation is motivation is an emotion. I'm not for sure if passion is. Right. Drive is neither. Mm-hmm. Drive is something that you wake up and do every day because it's what you know is right. Right. And it doesn't matter how you feel. Mm-hmm. So all that fake motivation is, or yeah, fake motivation is better than no motivation is complete crap. Mm. Okay, that's an that's that's an emotion. Emotions right. come and go like the waves of the sea. I mean, if you move off emotion, you're going to live a really sucky up and down life. But sure. if you have drive and you pick out what you're going to do, and for me, what I'm going to do is serve the Lord and walk according to his ways right? and ask him before I take each step. So to the outside world looking in, I might look like uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> but to me, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know that I'm not, I'm just, I'm following him. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that makes, you know, it's so weird. Opportunities come. Yeah. Big big money opportunities. I'll go to him but figure out what it is. I don't think that's for me. Mm. Yeah, we've had those talks. And then yeah. I haven't even told you about this one. And then it'll come back around because I waited on, you know, I waited and I didn't jump after the flashy thing and all the money. Right. The same opportunity come back around right here in my spot. And it's like, anyway, 
Um, so drive is the thing that I that I move off of, and that's that goes back to discipline, right? And getting up and doing it when you don't feel like it. Because I can promise you, since you've started the project, you haven't felt like driving twenty four hours without sleeping every couple of days. Yeah. You know, haven't felt like sleeping in the back of your truck eating tuna fish out of a can like a cat. Mm-hmm. You haven't felt like sleeping with your, you know, sweating. I'm trying not to sweating say. Bullets. Do kids listen to this? I'm trying no, to dude, say. No, dude, say whatever um, you want. Oh, please. Every one of these I'll, is going to be marked explicit, except okay. for yours probably. Okay. Uh, I've had several where I've been like, uh, to preface sp- this, mother, do not listen. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, so it, right. I promise you, you haven't felt that way. So if you were going off of motivation or strictly passion, man, I don't know what the passion thing is. I haven't decided if I don't like that word. I just yeah. see so many. It's my I word. see it cross-stitched on so many pillows and yeah. hung on so many walls. But you know it offices. means something different it, to me. It does. Yeah. It does. So I guess for mine is drive. What's the drive behind it? Right. That I like that word. I like that word because it makes me think of like Jocko Willink, like 4 a.m. on the watch. Every morning, mm-hmm. that Navy SEAL, you know, who's like really big in our community, who has a really good podcast. Um, he always takes a picture of his watch at 4 a.m. every morning in the gym with like sweat covering mm-hmm. it. He doesn't feel like it every morning, dude. Are no, you me? Like, shoot. No, that, oh, I, dude, I see it and I'm like, I see it like three hours later because I wake up at seven. Me, and I'm somebody like, somebody tells mm. you they enjoy that. Yeah. That's you know, crazy. Yeah, it's just like for me, re- waking up and having my time with the Lord every morning reading my Bible, my King James Bible promise you I don't feel like doing that every morning. I wake up at 4, too. I don't always take a picture, but I do wake up at 4. <laughs> and I read and I, and I work out. Well, since you don't take a picture, I don't blame you. <laughs> Didn't happen if it's not on yeah. Instagram. Uh-huh. Uh, but a lot of times it's on Instagram. So right. Anyway, but passion or drive or mm-hmm. whatever it is that moves you besides motivate Motivation, all that crap comes and goes, I'm telling you. How do you get there to where you are and, you know, like I said, I know that it's not perfect by any means, but to the place where you've gotten as an artist, how have you gotten there right now? I think, can I, can I tell a story? Yes, of course. And, and I don't know if we're here answer, for story time. I don't know if it'll answer it, but dude, I just had my fifth bang. You can okay. tell as many stories as you want. Do you have any more of that, by the way? By the way. Because I ran out of mine and. Yes, drink some of mine. Okay. There's only a little bit left, but I'm going to oh, give no, you the rest. No, it. Drink it, drink it. Sorry. No. All right. Um, so when did we do um, Doc Hazard? He passed away right before yes. I left last year. Right, yeah. Okay. So yeah, but Christmas. so probably about two years. He died Christmas 17. Yeah. So, so the end of the year, 17. Um, anyway, Dr. Mark Gordon Hazard, um, and, and he actually, I've never told you this, but he's a big reason why I had such a drive from a very young age to tell World War II gentlemen's stories. Hmm. He was a hometown hero. Um that I grew up, I would see him at the co-op, the feed store. Um, West Point, right? Yeah, West Point, Mississippi. Um, every time I went to go get horse feed for the, you know, for the horses, I would run into him or his. I never really got to speak to him. I, I would always look at him like he was a superhero, and he was always a people person, always talking to somebody. And, and then when his book came out, his book was everywhere. Um, the uh, World War Two, as I remember it, by Mark Gordon Hazard, and um, I always just looked up to that man so much and heard, read his book and knew his stories by heart. And then when we got to go, mm. so I, I went to go, um, anyway, we got to cover them together. Right. So yeah. I had, I had covered them from a film piece that we did on them and I'd got to spend 
you know, four or five days, straight days with them. And we got to know each other really well. And it was like, um, I mean, to be honest, it was, I've never been more nervous. I've met a lot of celebrities. I've met a lot of cool people. Yeah. I have never felt more starstruck and nervous than I was going to this man's house that I'd already seen in person probably a hundred times. I heard him speak. But to actually talk to him on the phone and go with him, go check his cattle with him, eat a pimento and cheese bread, uh, white bread sandwich with him. And uh, it was like nothing I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And 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 you... I don't know how many people you've invited to come do a project with you. Mm. But I mean, I felt our, very honored that you would want me to be there. Every time I actually invite somebody. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just wanted to say that. Right no, you no, don't. No, you were, know you don't. You were the only one, actually. At <laughs> okay. the time, you were the only one. I, I think Blake had like been on like half a day with me once. Yeah. Um, and Blake has since been to Roar, too. Uh, but obviously, that's very different since he is with the Veterans Project officially. This man had a very, very, just the perfect story from beginning to end. I had so much in common with him. His, he found out his father died right before he went into Aachen as a platoon leader. I forgot about that. And every time over the, you know, the week that I spent with him that he brought that up, he would, his lips would quiver and his eyes would tear up and he would get choked up every time he talked about when he got the letter right before they went into Aachen and he found mm. out his father died and he had to go out away from his men because he was a platoon leader and sit under a tree and cry his eyes out. And this is a 94 year old man telling us this with tears in his eyes, sobbing, talking about losing his dad when he was 21. I lost my dad when I was 21. I remember going sitting under a tree and sobbing so people wouldn't see me. Like I just had so much like in common with this man. And then he <laughs> went back to his men, and they went and took Aachen. I mean, it was like he was—he—he's like a—he's a, a living legend. No, like, but I'm—I'm I'm getting off the rails. And anyway, that's so that's who we're talking about. This yeah. guy who's—I mean, he—he he killed Nazis with a knife. Yeah, kind of guy. I remember when he grabbed the small on my back and then like showed me. He was like, "This is how you kill. This is how you do it." And when he shoved the, the his fist into my, he gut, did the dude, same to me. It was I like felt hitting, like a, I felt like a twenty-five-year-old middle linebacker grabbed me. Yes, I felt like powerless, and he was how old at the 94 time? Ninety-four, and bent over, looking like he, bent over, hunched over. He grabbed me, and that ferocity right there. I was just like, "Oh yes, you definitely did this." Yes, because it, the power that you felt in his grip and the look in his eye, he got that wild look in his eye, and the Nazi like, helmet he had. Hanging on, hanging by his from desk. his first kill, from his first kill. Mm-hmm. That he ended up, he would he every time he killed a Nazi, he was from Mississippi. He was a Mississippi boy. Of course, you make a kill, you take something. Yeah, he started sending back. So he went back to the back of the line. There was a whole pile of helmets. He was like, ah, I'll just take the first one. <laughs> that's the kind of guy we're talking about. Yeah, and okay, so that's the that's the background story on Doctor Hazard. This I, this I, day, I, can I stop you there? Yes, because. I don't want to leave that story because do you remember sitting in my car? That's what I was going to. Oh, that's okay. what I was trying You're going to get there. to. Okay, yeah, cool. that's, what, that's where this is go, going. Go, go. So we had been out uh, checking cattle with him. I was just tagging along, help, I, you know, helping you wherever you needed, basically being quiet and listening. And um, so we're in the back of his car, Tim's car, which is a hatchback. Mm-hmm. Of course, we put- It's very uh, tight. Put Mr. Hazard up front, and 
<laughs> I'm a giant, and we had a lot of gear, and Tim is not known for a clean uh, whip, uh, No, it is uh, not clean. We're both artists, and we're both disgusting. Yes. Ask, ask Nate Boyer. He once almost refused to get into my car. I, I was there that night. Oh, okay. I remember. Yeah. He was going to pick up. Uh, I was So I folded up in the back. There's no seat in the back. So I'm folded up with the gear. Um, and we pull up to his house. And in in route from the cattle barn to the house, we got into a very deep discussion with Mr. Hazard. Yes. An emotional story. He was Remember, he was telling us about how proud he was of his son. Mm. Oh, man. And this is a man that, like he said, he's killed more Nazis than... <laughs> Than you know, most modern veterans have, you know, then all done. the diseases. Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway, um, he was so emotional, and I remember I was folded up in the back. It was hot. My legs were falling asleep. The discs that I have slipped to my back were just screaming at me to please stand up and help us. And nothing in me wanted to get out of that car. Besides my body screaming at me. But like mm-hmm. mentally, I knew there was no way to break this silence. There's no way to stop this man's train of thought. There's no, there's not a way to end this until he is ready for this to end. And it wasn't even, the part that we were talking about was not even war related. No. It was just, we knew that we had, we cared about the man. And I remember thinking, I know Tim's probably worried about me because I was really like folded in half in the back. And I remember. I was so, not. Okay. Well, good. I was not I ju- because. I just remember of him. looking. That's not being sarcastic. At you, yeah. And you did not break eye contact with Mr. Hazard. Yeah. I was behind him, so I had the luxury of looking back and forth. And I remember being so impressed with you and with Mr. Hazard and just the whole. I was so emotional. Yeah. In the, and it wasn't from my muscle screaming at me, it was from I finally met somebody who got how do I say it you f- I finally met someone that had the same respect and just honor mm. for these men that you there's nothing that's going to stop us from letting them tell their story right in like there was nothing cool what we were doing no it was not about us there was no cameras rolling there was no there's no uh, live feed going. There was nothing. It was just us cramped, sweating, and he was pouring his heart out. And it was, I don't know how long it was, maybe 30 minutes. It was a long maybe time. Maybe longer, yeah. Maybe longer. Yeah. And I don't know. I just remember getting out of that car when we finally did. We went and had a pimento and cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. And listened to him talk about Mississippi State football. Yes. And then we went on the front porch. And I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but he, he was talking when you were talking, taking the picture with his helmet on the front mm, steps. Yeah, that was actually before, yeah. Was that before? Mm-hmm, that was before. Anyway, I just remember, I just started tearing up and crying. I looked over, and Tim's teared up and crying. Of course. And we're both like, we didn't say a word. We didn't have to. We just, it clicked. We, I don't know. And that was one of the most powerful s- storytelling moments in my career same, of doing this. Same, and, and that's, I've never had that experience again with somebody else. Yeah. And I'm not knocking other people I've worked with. I just... What you had and what I saw you have was like looking in a mirror. And mm-hmm. we're so different in so many other ways. Yes. But when that happened, it was just like, 
I don't know how to describe it, but all those tangible, all those other intangible and tangible differences don't matter because of who we are as storytellers. Right. And that is why we are such good friends and brothers. Yes. Because go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I was just saying in that moment, man, I remember it was like the question, you know, was like very kind of simple, but it was like, and I'll have to check the transcripts on this because I haven't reviewed them since and I've still got a project coming on him. Um, but when I sat there, it was like, it was a moment where we had asked him about what, about the end of the war. Yep. And he, oh, dude, I'm getting chills. Okay. Gosh, I'm just <laughs> yes. crying like babies. Those are his video. But for, but I do want to pay this moment the proper reverence. Because it was so serious. But serious in its simplicity, that was really the beauty of it. And I kind of want to paint this picture for you guys. But there was, we're sitting there in his probably 1930s era, maybe earlier, house on the front porch. in his classic Mississippi, you know, style home. Beautiful home. And we're out there and the flag is flying over the top. And he's got his helmet of, you know, his first Nazi kill there. And the heavy swastika chain where you feel that. You feel that almost presence of evil when you hold it. It's amazing. Yes. And there's a heavy spirituality attached to that moment. But you're sitting there with this man who is, you know, an incredible example of what a warfighter should be and is an incredible example to us younger generation who are experiencing any of this type of entitlement that we might be feeling that we should not uh, because men like this don't. And in that moment, the humility he showed in opening up, and when you see a World War II veteran as as hard as woodpecker lips quiver and tear up, there's something so unsettling because you seeing a man like that emotional is like, oh my gosh, if he like that because you know he doesn't cry easily. His tears were so meaningful when you asked him, and he said, "I'll never forget that." He said, "I said, what was it like?" realizing that we had won and he said to me he said to us that was i remember being back i was back in the states already and when i realized we had won i just felt this incredible sense of joy and accomplishment and then he started tearing up and then i i start tearing up and i'm looking over at you and you're tearing up and there's just except for his little quiver, dead silence. And I'm like, this is storytelling. This is how it should be. This is perfect. The moment was perfect. Everything about it. You can't ask for better than that. And that's what I was going to say was that moment with you there, that really, more than even Sundance, I'd already seen that storytelling side of you, but like I realized how great your empathy was in that moment was sitting there tearing up looking at each other and realizing like this is this is what it's about and for those of you listening out there to this that simple moment that moment before where he talked about his son and tearing up that's what our direction in storytelling and i can't speak for jesse but that's what my direction in storytelling is always those are the best moments the simple moments not the 
well, I stabbed 10 Nazis and then, you know, oh, yeah. dug for yeah. a trench knife and then found one, stabbed the other one in the throat as he was running up on me. Better than that, those stories are cool, fun to hear. Stories that always impact me the most are the most simple moments like that. He was so proud of his son and he was so proud of his freedom. I mean, can you imagine the impact of that moment of knowing I am directly responsible? I mean, dude, I would have a head the size of Texas. And he, he more than most. Yeah. And also, remember, he was, uh, his number got called to go home right before they crossed the river. Right. Yeah. And he didn't want to go. He went kicking and screaming. Mm hmm. And so when he got home, not long after that, and found out. Do you remember him tearing up about his boys? It's like, my boys are going to make it. The yeah. Ones that hadn't died oh, yet. yeah, yeah. Because he started naming the ones that had died. Dude, even in that simple moment where, like, guy was, like, relieving himself and, like, got killed by, like, a mortar round, like, towards the end of the war. Remember that? Where he yeah. was talking about, like, going and picking up, you know, simple, like, fruit out of somebody's yard or mm -hmm. something like that over there. And even that, I mean, so many things could kill you back then. Yeah. And it's better, I mean, in war period, but a war like that where your frontline units, I mean, chances of you making it back are not good. Yeah. I just, so, so when people ask, when they come up, and I, I'm just going to say it. Say it. I have Speak a really, hard, I have a really hard time with a lot of modern veterans and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. It's just like, when I am around these kind of guys that we just described, mm -hmm. my service is, wasn't that great compared to what he's done. Yeah. And so to try to make me go around and puff my chest out and act like I did something when, you know, when guys have done so much more. So when, when I have somebody come up and say they kind of want to get to where I'm at, which I'm not anywhere, by the way. <laughs> so don't don't want to be like you where I am. are. I'm just saying, but humble. they're trying to be like, well, how how did you how do you get to this point? How do you get involved with this? I would love to do that. Well, and I have so many of them. At, you know, what, you know, dude, how do you get them to spill like? I mean, I I'll give them a fifth of whiskey. I can't get them to talk like that to me. Like, dude. Yeah, you're talking about like personal references to get contacts. And yeah, like, like yeah. can I? And it's like, dude, you don't understand. I. I this is not a this is not a game of Instagram. No. This is not I don't give a just like you said in that moment when he was quivering on that front step we didn't have a thing recording. No. This was our this was all in our we have this gift that nobody else has and we got to experience it. We can go back on that front porch his wife died about 2 weeks ago by the way. Oh jeez. And I forgot to tell you that. Yeah. Sorry I dropped that bomb. Mm. But I was just like 20 minutes from here we could go there. Right. We have that moment that nobody can take from us. Yeah. And I'm afraid a lot of people, if they weren't rolling, wouldn't have really cared about that moment. And and that's I think that's the difference between a true storyteller who's who really cares about people and somebody who's trying to get fame and, and or not fame but just like clout or whatever. Well, and I think something that you know to to really get to the heart of that, I think that. You know, something that people, they were really being honest with themselves. Like, when guys try to act hard nowadays or, you know, like they've done a lot, which, you know, we've got our fair share. You know, a lot of guys who've been through a lot, and I don't want to take away from that, but compared to those guys, take Tim Kennedy, take Rudy Reyes. I'll name names. I don't care. Take any of those guys, and they would be, those guys would be the first to tell you, hey, we don't compare to that generation. Yeah. 
It's different. It's just different. It is what it is. And and that can't be controlled by Tim or Rudy. I mean, they're both hard, hard dudes, you know, who are very, who are great at their profession, extremely great in the special operations world. But to compare yourself to that, you would have to change the whole structure of our war. Yep. And you just can't. So you can't compare. So like when the World War II guys will ask me, you know, I'm sure they've asked you this, do you think you guys could do, could do what we did? I just tell them, no, I don't think so. But I, I, but I say it not offensively. But it's because I can't claim it. Yeah, I can't. But you, I can't it, say we could. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, everyone I've talked to, they act like we could. And, yeah, and which is like, ridiculous. They thank me for what I've done, and they 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 shake my hand. Oh yeah, and yeah. they try to act like they're so humble about it, and it like I cannot hardly stand it when they like I, I, it makes me proud mm-hmm. when an old leatherneck that's been on v, that was on Iwo Jima. Shakes my hand and said, yeah. "Thank you for your service, son." Yeah. I, I, I was like, "I want to be like Job and put my hand over my mouth and be like, I, I don't have anything to say, sir. Yeah. I don't know what to say to that because you can't thank me for that, right? Not you, out of all people." But I don't. But and I'm I, just saying that to be show their humility, right? And it's like our our generation will get our time one day. Yes, I promise you. Yes, we'll get our time to we tell will. our stories. Yeah. But right now, I don't. I don't really. I'm, it's not that I don't care about our stories at all. It's that's not what it is. It's just no. You do. You care about them more than most. Yes, fact. but we have time to tell ours. We do. Okay? Yes. How many times have I asked you about a World War II project or something? You've been like, uh, "Dude, you don't need to do this Iraq or Afghanistan project right now. You need to get to that World yeah, War." Yeah, the guy. dude. I mean, we're not dying that fast, okay? Like, but World War II, dude, those gentlemen are dying. The young ones are ninety-four. Yeah, and then Korea is right behind them. Yeah. Right behind them. Right. And the Vietnam guys are dying super fast because of all the cancer and the Agent Orange. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're dying so fast. Yes. And it's like, and then, I don't know. I'm not trying to say people are selfish. I just, to be honest, I don't care as much about our stories right now yeah, because yeah. we got time. We got time to tell ours. They don't have any time. And I feel like it's our job, yours and mine, to get as many of those stories told. And to be honest, I, you know, I feel guilty a lot of time because I have to figure out how to provide for my family. Yeah. And telling World War II gentlemen's stories does not pay the bills. Doesn't pay the bills. So it becomes a hole, a black hole where I'm throwing my money. And I it's worth it, but I also have to I have to keep the lights burning at home. So it's like this constant when I'm not doing it, I feel guilty for not doing it because I feel like and I know I'm not Because you'll never to, get those opportunities back. No, and I don't feel like there's enough of us out there that are doing it in the way that we do it that honestly are don't not doing it for fame or clout or recognition. Absolutely. I don't feel like there's enough of us out there. And if we had 10 million of us, there wouldn't be enough. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> yeah. I'm just, uh, no, do you that's remember? just me being honest. I feel guilty sitting here right now yeah. talking to you instead of talking to one of them getting there. But I don't have the resources or the, no. you know what I'm saying? Like, all my, they're dying so fast, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, all my resources, I, it's the same way, man. Like, Sponsorships come to Iraq and Afghanistan, guys. These tactical medical companies, these you know weightlifting companies, and incredible and sponsors. And I gotta thank them, you know, enough for guys like Sornax and D-Day Response Group that have sponsored the project. They're going for the young guys because those are the projects that, at the end of the day, you know, they're really working with closely. And I don't blame them at all. In fact, those stories are very powerful too. But I wish that there were sponsors out there as well that were as impacted and in touch with the World War II community. 
because I would love to tell those stories all day. And, and you want to talk about dynamic too, man. I I don't have to, you don't have to go digging because those guys just like, oh yeah, my first day was this, and you're like, oh okay, my brain just exploded inside of my head yep. from day one of your combat story. Yes. So for me. I, I what I'm saying is I'm in complete agreement. But you hit on something that I want to touch on. Okay. Business. How how do you how <laughs> my brain's <laughs> breaking right now? Are you trying to say how do it. I pay the how bills? How do you pay the bill? Yeah, because people want to know that. Like that's and and that's one thing that I really want. I want this podcast to be practical as well. Okay. You know, um, for, to inspire. I mean, you honestly want to know how to pay the bills. How do you make artwork for that? Okay. Um, I lean heavily on what you're about to say. Like, I, don't. I, I, I don't. I sell I, drugs. <laughs> I'm like, I I'm not a, a massive crack. operation I'm, I'm in Mexico nice, right now. <laughs> I'm a nice crack dealer. <laughs> but go ahead. I, I want to get to that business side. <laughs> okay. Well, um, when I figure that out, I'll get back with you and we can do a podcast. <laughs> but no, so too. To be honest, um, you know, I, I do a lot of photo, uh, photography. I do a lot the way of photography. You said that. Yeah, it kind of fell out of my mouth weird. But, Sounds um, weird. So I lean back on my photography a lot. Um, shoot for different companies. I, I do a little uh, consulting for online brands on how to, um, especially on our social media, how to tell their story with images and, and uh, film. So I don't always do the content myself, but I'm a content creator and a. Uh, um, advisor to these these brands on how to like sell if you're on sell a t-shirt why put you don't put it on a, a model and stand them in the studio and say buy the shirt for 19.99 right you have have a somehow have it in, in a store you know um and then i do uh film work through uh, basically i do anything man there's some I, I work for myself so some some months man i'm slam packed i'm on the road every weekend mm-hmm. um and then some sometimes i uh go a month without working at all you know with without working with my film so i have to go to work you know to be honest you know how many times i've had to go and pick up a, a drip torch and go burn land like i used to for, Bro, i remember when you were doing that a lot that was yeah. like right after sundance like yeah dude hey, i was doing it, you man. made it to the greatest film <laughs> yeah, festival in the world at go burn and then i'm burning brush. land the next week because yeah. i mean a lot of people they act like like once you make it you make it and you're done it's like no no um i've never made it anywhere by the way but when <laughs> i get there i promise you i'm not gonna be able to stay there so you, it, it and that kind of goes back to i don't really know if this is practical like nuts and bolts but i think it's somebody can get something out of this is don't be above work mm. don't be above your like you know once you okay i'm a dp now i'm, I'm a director photographer for this tv you know so I, I do tv producing and i do uh i work on tv shows and stuff like that so as soon as i get a certain all right i'm the dp now right well does that mean i'm never gonna take a gaffing job or i'm never gonna be whatever else you know best boy yeah no yeah but a lot of people have that attitude a lot of non-successful people they think oh I directed this film, so I'm a director now. Well, you may have directed that film, and you can call yourself a director, but I promise you you're going to not direct something if you're going to work somewhere else. Bro, there are people in Hollywood right now that are 10 years ago that are now bankrupt. Yeah. and That's and, being an artist. But they they have that attitude of you. You're, so what I guess what I'm saying is I am not above working with my hands, mowing grass. You know how many I, – I can paint houses – 
I can build. I hate construction work, man. I grew up doing it, <laughs> hate it, but I know how to. And when things get tough, I'll go be a handyman. I haven't had to do that in the past year or two, but I'm not above it. Right. And I honestly, to make sure my ego is not wrapped up in what I do. Yeah. Every time I have to do that, I try to put it out on social media and let people see it. Because people have this attitude, awesome. this idea of, oh, people that I follow on social media, they, they, their, their life is perfect and all this stuff. It's like, no, it's, you know, I show you what I want you to see, but I also want people to see like real life hits you and it knocks you down. Mm. Real life is beautiful and it's sad mm-hmm. and it's hard and it's fun and you, it, you, it's just the best. Life is amazing, but life also is sucks sometimes. Sometimes and if you're always trying to show people how amazing it is, you're letting other people whose life is sucking at that moment think, "Oh, what am I doing wrong?" It's like, no, everybody has struggles, man. So when I when I have to go pull a drip torch through a, a cutover in the backwoods of Mississippi with not a nobody knowing what I'm doing, there's nothing cool about it. I like to let people know. I will put it on my story. I will put it on the post and be like, "Hey, yeah, yeah." You know, last week I was at Sundance. Um, or in Hollywood, or at, you know, New York at this event, whatever. And this week, I'm in the Briar Patch. I've caught my pants on fire three times today, actually. And uh, I come home, and guess what? My wife and kids love me just the same. Mm-hmm. My wife kisses me just as sweet. Mm-hmm. My kids don't think any less of me. Right. And I feel successful. Yeah. And it's not so. I've told my wife this a hundred times. I've told a lot of people this. Yeah. People think, oh, you're doing you're doing well right now. Things are going up. You know, you're you're shooting for the moon. Like, yeah. Well, next week I might be spinning a sign outside of Little Caesars, <laughs> like for real. And I'm not above it. I'll be that kid out there with the headphones on, dancing, swinging a sign, because I'm not above going back to doing what I've done in the past to provide for my family. I don't. I, I really don't give a rip how I make a living. Now, I would much rather do it in the arts because yes. that's what I enjoy and that's what I love. And to be honest, that's when when my dad died. He had told me for years. Just start doing photography, man. You got the art. Just go do it. Charge what the professionals do and see what happens. And I never did it. And when he died, I was like, no, no I'm just going to do it. You know, and that's something I really want to compliment you on is a lot of people just say what you just said. I would go out there and do whatever. Dude, like the <laughs> You've actual seen me mowing grass. I've seen, for money. I saw you right after Sundance, like out there with a torch. I was like, oh, "Wait, what is he doing? Oh, yeah. he's out there with a drip. Oh, okay." But yeah. dude, the the way I was raised, same thing. I w- I remember it was like you know a, a few weeks after I had like this really big successful event. I just spoke and I just received this award, this Chris Kyle Award through Operation Balor. Shout out to Operation Balor. I appreciate that. I don't think the the award was me, but I appreciate it for sure. Dude, like two week, two, three days later, I was like putting up siding on the house yes. with my dad yes. in like 110 degree San Antonio humidity. And a lot of people see that as a negative. It's not. It's not. It's real. It life. was so humbling it, too. Yeah. If you own it. It felt great. It helps you. It helps your humility and it helps your art. It felt Because it's like next time you get a story and you're doing it you remember those you remember that 105 feels so heat. good too yeah and that's the thing man I see those so low many points people, man they're, they're embarrassed to show the low points and they want to run from those low points and to me to be honest i think that plays somewhat into the whole epidemic of people getting depressed and blowing their brains out because they yeah. see everybody else doing so all this amazing stuff and i'm not re- linking it straight to social media at yeah. all but i don't 
I think the more real you can be in in the in the in the, in the webs interwebs of yeah. the the more real you can be about how life hits you and hurts, mm-hmm. um, it actually helps people more than if you're just always telling them how peachy your life is. And all this yeah. fake it till you make it is absolute garbage. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that you know that that goes back to a greater issue. Obviously, you know that that egocentric behavior all links itself to social media. Like you know, I, I got my master's in social media. One of the things is that we were always talking about was theory of like which happened first. You know, like psychological problems or the issue of social media. Like you know, becoming like propagating that and making it worse. But I'll just say like. Before social media existed, ego existed. <laughs> social media has just helped play that up, right? Like, yeah. and it's made it easier to do those things. Yeah. You know, I think most of your posts are with your family, you're with your kids, or you're bailing. Yeah, I've, I've kind of taken a different route. I, yeah. I, whoa, I just way too close to the mic. Yeah. Um, I've just, I, I want it to, on my through my social. I want it to be, I want it to, to make it look cool to love your wife and kids. <laughs> like that's. What that is. That's what it is. So. What? That's not cool. <laughs> well, so many people in the in the social media world that I've lived like they don't want to. They don't want their wife anything because that'll cut off on female followers, and they don't want their kids because whatever. And I, I don't want to exploit my kids, and I don't want to exploit my wife. That's not what I'm doing. But I do mm-hmm. want to show that like it's okay to be a man and love your wife. But that's and toxic. Love your kids. Bro. <laughs> I know. It's gross. I am disgusting. You know, I, I love that because, and I also think it plays well to your to your following, which you've grown into that, right? Like your your following has come from not people that are just like minded with you, but people see and they're like, "Oh, that's cool." Like he actually makes that look cool, and it, it's yeah. because it is cool, and it's not fake. It's not fake. <laughs> it's it's like, real. Yeah, I mean, it's like I've yeah, been I here. I'm sitting kids. here in Mississippi right now. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just wish more people that, and I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a social media celebrity by any stretch, but I, I do what little platform I have. I want to use it for good, and I want to. Anyway, just no, it, I get you. There's a frustration there, way for sure. too seriously. Yeah, and then a lot of the people that you meet at these events and whatever, and they're you you <laughs> you follow them forever. They have oh, these huge and accounts with like, the blue check yeah. marks, and then you meet them, and you're like, this person sucks. <laughs> Like this person is not that's real. Real talk from Jesse Phillips. I'm sorry, but that's like, and then they act like I'm a nobody because I well, don't. Well, they have... they also act like you should know them. Yeah, which and is they really introduce gross. themselves by their Instagram handle. It's like, dude, <laughs> are, what are we doing? Fake names? This is, is that at... what we're doing? Are we doing fake names now, dude? We really probably like should start that. We should just go around. This is at the real Jesse Phillips. Yeah, and... <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm the veterans. Pro- I'm whatever. I, I can't stand that. I, I love that it when people make fun of me. Pisses by me off that. more than anything yeah. is when somebody introduces to me to they say, hey, I am so and so. And they give their Instagram handle. I'm telling you That's so that obnoxious. if you want me to, yes, that is so obnoxious. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much, Tim. And I'm mm-hmm. sorry I got on around on that. No, no, it's so good. People because... on social media really need to cool it with the whole, hey, my life is perfect. Because people are killing themselves because they think their life is not perfect. It's a ma- actually a massive issue in our society. It is. Right yeah. A lot of people are depressed nowadays. A lot of people in, in the the veteran community does not have a leg up on that. There's no. a lot of people struggling right now mm. and they, they're all, there's nothing new under the sun, but I honestly think that social media plays a big part into that. Um, not, it's not the biggest part, but I think it's a part worth noting 
And if you have any kind of account, just start thinking about like, like how often do you uh, let people see when you get knocked down by life? Like, I don't know about you, but I get punched in the mouth a lot by life. And I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, like yeah. always talking about my problems. <laughs> but I do want to, because I, because my life is great. I never, I never, get, I never get that. Yeah, absolutely. We're above ground is awesome. Yeah. And combat reminds you of that. Like yes. being overseas reminds you of that yeah, a lot. Every time you see somebody, anyway. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something that I never get that sense from you though. Is on your social media, like of being down or well, anything. I, I wonder. Sometimes I wonder that. And no. I'm glad to hear you say that's like. Am I am I posting too much no. about like how much life just punched me in the mouth? No, I mean, I, I think it's natural to get down sometimes, especially when you have all your equipment shown for your passion, you know, your drive that you love, your commitment in life. That sucks, man. Like, I mean, that that's a really hard place to be. Mm-hmm. But still... On top and, of two surgeries, laid me on my back, couldn't get out of bed and... Yeah. yeah. Okay. This and isn't the. This isn't the feel sympathy for <laughs> wham wham boo boo Jesse Phillips. I'm just saying. My, You're a marine. Hey, Get I'm over not it. A, I'm just. There's so many people that think no, my yeah. life is perfect. Yeah. It's like, dude, have you read my Instagram post? Like, yeah. Uh, no. no. Yeah. It, absolutely. But I guess at every one, I try to have an uplifting at the end of it. Like, yeah, I just got punched in the mouth. Yeah. But this, this, and this. I never, yeah, I never gather that from you. In fact, your social media to me feels almost completely positive and upbeat in your honesty. And I think that's a very powerful thing. It's also a part of your Mississippi upbringing, like the realness. I mean, you for me are a PR dream because you're clean cut, you do things properly, and you're not doing it for that, but you are because you do things properly in life. You go about it the right way, you maintain your humility, you show your family. You show off your beautiful Mississippi background, which is great. It's humble. It's down to earth. But it's it's very family inclusive, which is awesome. And it's all and it's what you're all about. It's the reality of the situation. You don't have to fake it. There's nobody coming in here and like putting makeup on y'all and like, all right guys, now I need you to look down home in Mississippi. Yeah. Jesse, let's play that accent up a little bit. All right, howdy y'all. Man, I love it to, out I've here. I've been trying to get rid of my accent for years. <laughs> no, I mean I love it. I but I'm get, what I'm saying is I always feel a sense of positivity even in all your posts and you know, for those of you out there, it's the real Jesse Phillips, right? On yeah. Instagram. Jesse R. Phillips, but yeah. Yeah, the real Jesse R. Phillips. Um, your Instagram is awesome, but it's very real. And that's part of what makes it awesome. So how do you get, you know, how, how do you maintain that sense of authenticity? And do you ever feel yourself betraying that? Do you have you Has there ever been a time where you've been like, uh, let my ego get a little hold of me then, or, or, you know, or I feel like my direction in my art is going in a different way than I wanted it to. Uh, that's a hard question. That is answer. a hard question. I don't want to say no, but I have my wife who is, we're very, very, we don't, the hardest thing for me to do, cause I saw so many people on social media that disgusted me. That I didn't ever want to look like that, right? And I saw a lot of people trying to sell stuff, and I didn't want to look like a salesman. So, and then because for the longest time I just put my my photography work on there, and nobody knew who I was, right? And I had a lot of people encourage me. You know, I had like a thousand followers and thought I was high rolling, and then somebody was like, "Hey, why don't you, you're a pretty fun guy? Why don't you let people know about the artist and yeah. a little bit less about the art?" I'm like, ah, okay. The hardest thing for me was starting to talk into an Instagram story, right? And that's what. I, I'm a shy guy, and a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. I don't like being in front of people. 
So when Instagram came out with stories, I was like, dude, I got to start working on getting, because I have a lot of aspirations of doing a lot more than I'm doing right now. Right. And all that has to do with me being able to talk and function in front of people. So right. yeah. I, I got to figure that out. And so I guess when I started doing that, I call it smell check. Every time I write a post yeah. or do a story, I, I get my wife to check it. And she is the, the best smell checker there is. That's and, she'll, and she was like, if that makes me twitch a little bit. She she tells me and I'll take it right down or I won't post it at all or I'll write something and I think it's perfect and I'll text it to her. She fixes all my misspelled words <laughs> and then she's like, I don't think that you should say this in this way. That sounds a little harsh or that sounds a little crude or that sounds mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like sometimes it makes me mad. I'm like, what? but that's like who I am. And, but it helps to have – she's my editor. <laughs> Bro, know? no, I'm glad you it, made that point. Because I, everybody needs a smell checker. Yes, and she's my smell checker and she does. she's very sensitive yeah. And so I trust her immensely. So I don't want to say that I haven't got to that point where I'm like, yeah, maybe I got out of whack. But the other thing is I don't – I work with a lot of companies, but I'm not one of those, like, huge, like, I don't want, like, 50,000 promo codes on my thing to make people think right. that I'm cool. So I don't make money off of promo codes. I love to work with companies, and if I use their products, I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll see it on my Instagram. Right, but I'm not beholden to anybody to forcibly post X amount of stuff. That's helped me feel like I can keep my authenticity. Mm. I've seen a lot of people they they get well and they get all these followers and all of a sudden they start doing all this stuff. It's like that's not who you are. Why are you doing that? Right. Hey, go like this, and then, and then they take it down and like this, and it becomes they're a walking billboard. I don't want to be that. I'd rather be all you know. Hey, this is what I do. Um, yeah, I'm wearing this cool hat because I love it. Right, and somebody, somebody asked me where to get it. So I, I can give you a promo code for it, but I'm not like that's not where I make my living. Right, so it helps me be able to stay just like who I am, and I'm very, very sensitive to that mm. not being beholden to someone telling me how I need to run my social media because it's yeah. to me it's my it's my life, and I, I'm trying to be an example to people that are following me. Mm. So I don't want to. I take that very serious because I care about their soul more than my followers. Yeah, right. If that makes sense. It goes no, back it does, to what we're yeah. talking about. Do you have any, you know, you're obviously still in the Marine Corps Reserves, and, you know, do you have any special projects that you're working on right now that you're really looking forward to? Uh, yes. Um, I have several. Hmm. Some of them. Tell me. Some of them I am not at liberty to talk about yet. Tell uh, me the ones that you are. One of them that I really, this one, I don't know how much I'm supposed to talk about. <laughs> so just talk about the one that you for sure know you can. Well, I don't know. That's the thing. I don't. Oh, know you don't know if you have any. Well, I have a. I don't Jesse, know if I want to show my do hand. Do you need yet. work? No, I don't, I don't want. Yeah. Um, uh, Will you actually, come with? Do you want to come with me to DC? <laughs> uh, there's one that I'm really excited about, and it, it. This sounds funny, and I don't know if I'm ready for the world to know about it yet. But hey, yeah, I'm gonna do it. You need and to I'll ask, I'll ask forgiveness here. later. Yeah, I love it. Who I'm working with, but. Um, I think there is a. I think there's something that we can do in the military, especially the infantry, that can help young grunts learn how to deal with stress before they get to combat. Mm. To help their reintegration later mm. a little bit easier. Okay. Um, I think that there is something that we can do. There has to be something we can do because I mean, it's all this and sitting through a PowerPoint is not what I'm talking about. Right. Um, 
it seems like we're the military is really great at teaching people. The infantry is good about teaching people how to kill. Coming back and getting out, back in the real world, especially you just brought up that I was a reservist. I was trying to keep that quiet. I'm just kidding. I don't oh, care. Okay. I'm a nasty reservist. No, um, I was a nasty guardsman. So, uh, and that uh, that has a whole different set of struggles because you get back from combat and then you are not getting paid anymore. No, yeah, and you're thrust right back in your business that you spent seven or eight years building up has gone to crap because you've been gone for 12 months. Right. And then your wife and kids, uh, hate you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I was just talking about my personal experience. Sorry. I don't have any kids. Um, it just, all of a sudden you're back in a real life. And I'm not saying active guys don't have real lives, but they go back to their barracks they go back to their, you know, their buddies. And then their hard part is when they get out of the service at the end of it. Right. For us, it's like you get back from a combat deployment and all of a sudden, boom, you're back you know, one week you're in Hellman and then a couple of weeks later you're home, home, yeah. home, home, trying to figure out how to make a living again. Yep. And all your contacts, you know, if you work with the fire department or the police department, they have to hold your job for you. But if you're an entrepreneur or you have your own business, uh, there's no law that says your clients have to stay with you. <laughs> and most of them don't because they have to get their work done. Right. Something else. And it's so, good that there is no law. Yeah. Saying I'm that not too. saying yeah. there should be, but yeah. it, it, there's a, there's, it's a, there's a struggle. Right. Uh, especially of course. for the, you know, a lot of reservists are married men, married businessmen with kids. <laughs> and then they get back and they're like, crap, my business is not here anymore. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that. but You were talking about this project that you were working on. The project, yes. So I think there's a way to – I don't want to disclose too much of it, but I think there's a way to uh, come up with a, a system, a project – that infuses uh, several different things into one mm. um, through mental toughness, yeah, stretching, a lot of yoga, meditation, a lot of a lot of different things mm. into a certain kind of package that's easy to swallow for a grunt, not Ooh, a okay, <laughs> like, what not a that? fancy unicorn and like uh, that not. <laughs> Not a hippy dippy kind right, of thing, yeah. but an actual. This is what you do with your mind, with your spirit, mm. and with your body when you are freaking out and you're having a panic attack. Yeah, this is how you do it. Or, oh, I like that. You just got shot at, and you for the first time, and you're you're back, and you're like, okay, that was fun, but why do I feel right this that I feel? Or you see somebody get blown away, and you're like, okay, now what? Like, how do I process that? You know, what, you know how it is. When you're over there, you take all of these things, all these stressors, especially when you're at a place of leadership, you don't have the luxury of letting people know that you're struggling over there because mm. you got a bunch of Lance Corporals and PFCs looking at you. So you suppress every single thing you, every fear, every thought that is scary, every piece of anxiety that you have, you tuck it down in your stomach and you hide it. Right. And then when you get home, we're and you never lose your cool mm. you know nothing you never get rocked you know you're you're the guy right, right. and then you get home and you're something everything you suppress over there comes out sometime right it might not be for a month it might not be for six years it might be 10 years later but it will come out and usually when it comes out it's gross and it's not it's not good for you it's not good for your family 
and I think that there's a way to kind of help guys figure out how to deal with that as it's happening instead of wait until they get out of the service or they get home. Right. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. That's that's a project I'm working on. No, that's on. cool. I mean, whatever it is, it sounds amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to be vague because yeah. I don't want to. That was vague. That's, that's very vague. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what it's about. Yeah, so yeah. So you no, know no, the no, direction. Yeah. Right, absolutely. You don't know the process, but you know the direction. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to close things up. I, I always, you know, by, by asking, what do you want people to remember Jesse Phillips as? I'm proud of being a Marine. I don't really care if I'm remembered for that. I'm, pr- I'm proud right. of being from Mississippi. I'm proud of being an American, but my allegiance is not here. It's with Christ. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be known for somebody that, like in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it talks about teaching young men. And you teach them in such a way that they turn around and they teach other young men, and then they teach their young men. Talking, so I want to teach my kids, and I want my grandkids to be walking with the Lord and living the way that they should be. And I want their kids to do it, and I want to. That's what I want to be known for, just like my father was known. And and that's you know to be honest, I don't care if people remember if I'm a marine or a filmmaker or if I was a funny guy on a podcast or whatever it is, I I want them to if they look at me I want them to say that man trusted the Lord and uh, raised his family in a way that they turn around and raise their family the same way because if I just get them up to through high school and into college that doesn't you know without get going to jail that doesn't mean I'm successful. <laughs> when I feel like I'm successful is when my grandkids have kids mm-hmm. and those kids are being raised the same way. Mm. And my great grandkids are fearing the Lord and loving people more than they love clout. Mm. Clout. Such a big thing nowadays. Yes. And it's disgusting. <laughs> well, did that answer my question? That, Your did question. An- that did answer my question and it was very powerful. And I think one thing, you know, you, the audience out there listening to this uh, podcast will hear in Jesse's words is every veteran that I've covered so far has been completely different. You know, I've, I've, we have veterans who are full-blown atheists, agnostic, you know, come from very many different backgrounds. The diversity is there. And so I really wanted Jesse to get into it uh, about his faith. And, you know, to be honest, I don't care if anybody appreciates it or not. It's very part, it's testamental to my life. It's been important to his life. It is everything to my work in that I see this as an act of testimony. I don't see myself as perfect by any means. In fact, I mess up every single day. I've messed up in a lot of ways that, um, you know, are, are big in my life. Not very far from perfect. But faith is such a massive thing to me. The Lord is a massive thing to Jesse. And I really wanted him to bring that side of his background. And that's something Jesse would never apologize for. And something I've always appreciated about the whole Phillips clan. They don't care what crowd they're in. You can put them in the middle of Hollywood, standing on a red carpet, whoever. They will bring up their faith. Because that is pertinent to their testimony. And that is who they are. That's something that I really appreciate you about you, Jesse. On top of that, I appreciate you as a family man. I appreciate you being a good husband. I appreciate you raising your children right. I appreciate you being that son that my mom wishes she had. <laughs> <laughs> but so for me, like it's, I just want to say that it's been a privilege to have you on the show. Um, but Jesse has an awesome story, and I really appreciate you bringing the artist perspective. Man, I appreciate you having me, and uh, I'm very humbled by your kind words. I think some of them are 
misplaced, but I appreciate you. Well, luckily I made it all up from the script that I'm reading. (laughs) Can I say it in front of the world? Yeah. I love you. I do. I I honestly do. Well, in that whole, you know, I don't know what episode it'll be in the first episode, the second one, but about Mr. Hazard, that moment we had, that's when I realized that our friendship is going to last. I see us being able to have this, you know, when we're his age. Yeah. And we're going to remember that moment. It's been a pleasure. And, um, you know, we're going to talk to your brother tomorrow. Well, I'm excited to hear Jacob. that. He's a lot more interesting than I am. No, I, well, I think you guys are both interesting in very different ways. So, very different. But I just wanted to thank you for coming on. Thanks to everybody listening. Uh, please rate, subscribe, review the show. I hope you've enjoyed this authentic measure of the crickets in the background and all that because this is the most Mississippi podcast I've ever done, for sure. And we appreciate the setting because we are sitting on our front porch in rocking chairs like a couple of old Southern gentlemen. Literally swatting mosquitoes. Yes, literally swatting mosquitoes. First thing you said was, do you have bug spray? <laughs> yeah, because I knew they love my blood and they will tear me apart. They hate Texans around here. <laughs> Like most other states do. (laughs) Super annoying. Jesse, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you. Love you, bro. And um, thanks, man. Thank you, man. Love you, bro. Have a good night. This has been the Veterans Project Podcast with our founder, Tim Kay. Check us out at www.thevetsproject.com, on Instagram at The Veterans Project, Facebook, The Veterans Project, and Twitter at Project underscore Veteran. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, our legacies are the mission.